Hey, Sales Lift audience, it's Tyler Lindley, your host here. Today, I have Mary Grothy from Sales BQ on the podcast. Welcome, Mary. How are you doing today? Doing good. You know, it's 10 a.m. on a Friday as we record this. And seriously, who does not love Fridays? I know, right? Happy Friday. So uh, Mary, for those of you who don't know, Mary is a former number one B2B top sales rep who actually has turned now into a CEO of her own agency. And uh, SalesBQ is in the middle of a, an exciting rebrand. So be on the lookout for some exciting updates there. Today, Mary and I are going to talk a lot uh, to founders and sales leaders out there who might be in a place where they feel a little stuck. They feel like they're plateauing in their growth. And Mary and I had some great discussions last week about what to do if your business gets into that place of where you feel like your numbers are flatlining, you don't really have a plan for next steps. How are you going to grow? That's Mary and her company's specialty. So Mary, I'd love your thoughts for those out there that are feeling like they might be Mm -hmm. in that place and they're wondering, well, what should I do or what should I be thinking about or what data should I be looking at? What advice do you have for those folks who are feeling stuck and, and plateauing in their business growth? Yeah, we we need to set some foundation here for this conversation so that there's context. I sold for eight years. I'm a number one rep, former number one rep. I could still be number one. I sell for SalesBQ and I'm the only one who does. So technically, I guess I'm still number one, just joking. But in that time, my sales performance was two, three, four times the next person in the rankings. And that shocked the executive team. How is she selling so much? How is she selling so much? And there were a lot of things that went into that equation, but it really came down to, I built my own process and methodology that worked for how I sold. It worked for the product I sold and it worked for the buyer. The company I sold for was a big fortune 1000 company who was known predominantly for small business. But I was in the mid-market. There wasn't a playbook for mid-market. And there wasn't any marketing for the mid-market. In fact, when you went to the website, it was like payroll for small businesses. I'm like, come Mm. on, people. I'm talking to a 500-employee company. This is built for like a 10-employee company. So in our competition, loved holding that against us. So I had to write my own playbook. I had to take marketing into my own hands. I had to take my outbound sequence and networking and event strategy and webinar strategy and really mastering the knowledge of the technology so that I could be credible in sales conversations, not have to rely on a sales engineer, really show up different than my competition. So there were things that I did that were different than other reps, especially selling for a big fortune 1000 company, because those are typically known to have a lot of infrastructure and they think they know, and they're like, do it this way. And they Mm -hmm. wonder why year over year they have low sales performance, but it takes, there are a lot of salespeople like me who are innovative and pioneers. And they, I think what really fuels us is why do something the way someone said to do it? If you don't get great results, if you can just innovate a new way that gets great results, like, of course, just do that. But not everybody has that gene. So fast forward, I start Sales BQ. And my mission is to rebuild sales departments. People knew about my background. And so they said, can you turn our sales department into a team of high performers, top performers? And I said, well, I've done it. So I probably can figure out how to get your team performing at that level. Well, 18 months in, 18 months into our journey, we realized that helping CEOs who were plateaued in revenue growth solve one part of the problem being just sales performance can only take you to a certain point. Mm. If you help a salesperson or sales team redefine their approach to sales and help them have more engaging, 
incredible conversations with their buyers, you're going to see an uptick in close rate. But if you take that salesperson and you put them back into the revenue ecosystem that itself is broken, they can only take their performance to a certain level and you're holding them back. So 18 months ago, halfway through our three-year journey here, we realized that if we wanted to scale these companies that we were working for, we had to take over the marketing engine as well as see the customer journey all the way through customer success and have a say in the RevOps component. So revenue operations being your entire tech stack from the first touch point of a customer all the way through delighting them, renewal, revenue expansion, or offboarding the client, as well as that operational workflow of the customer and how each department interacts with the customer during their life cycle. Mm -hmm. So we brought in marketing, we brought in revenue operations. All of a sudden, we see a significant difference and the results that our clients are getting because now we manage the entire revenue ecosystem. So step number one, Tyler, I had to give you that background because so often CEOs, founders, or executive sales leaders that find a plateau, the first thing they want to do is hire a sales trainer or bring in a sales coach or have the sales department read the newest and hottest sales book that was just released. They want to focus on who can we bring in for our sales kickoff? Let's bring in a really great keynote, somebody that's done something phenomenal in the sales world. But those things are very short-lived and they only address one part of the problem. Sales training is amazing. (laughs) Sales coaching is even more tremendous when you can really dig in on more of a week-by-week basis and help reps specifically progress deals and work through their own individual challenges, not just trading as a whole. The combination is even more wildly powerful. So not a knock there. It's just don't have incorrect expectations of the results you're going to get by only focusing on this piece. You have to rebuild the entire revenue ecosystem if you want to scale. So step number one, if somebody's plateaued in their revenue numbers. I need you to answer the question, whether you're a CEO, an owner, executive, sales leader, are you looking for growth? Or are you looking for scale? They're different. Hmm. What's the difference? They're often used as the same word. Right. The difference between growth and scale. Growth, let's say you have 20% EBITDA is where you would maintain the 20% EBITDA as your top line sales would grow. And so is your growing sales, it's costing you more money. So you can see there's an expense for growth. In scale, that's where your revenue disproportionately grows from your expenses. You actually keep your expenses minimal. You may have a like a early investment for three to six months of setting yourself up for scale. But the point is that investment is built in technology and automation and efficiency in ways that you can grow revenue, but not grow dollar for dollar, if you will, in ratio so that your EBITDA can actually increase. So that if you're doing 10 million now in sales, maybe that EBITDA is at 30% or 35% because you have found how to scale without requiring the same expenses. So that's the difference between growth and scale. So you have to determine, are you just looking for growth? and pushing the same whatever percent to the bottom line? Or are you looking for scale to say, I want to take my company to this level and increase new profit that we've never seen before because of the amount of efficiency? So let me give you an example on that. One of our clients 
historically, when they built out their revenue modeling, it was growth. So the way that they grew was by going up in headcount in people. Not a bad strategy. You're still growing. And 20% of a million is less than 20% of 4 million, right? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, the number is still growing. But what we showed them when we implemented, uh, we're a HubSpot agency partner. So we implemented the inbound marketing methodology and we took the requirement of having a very expensive sales team with primo talent that comes with a huge ticket price and these long sales cycles because there was such an effort of prospecting and not enough at bats. We took some of that spend and just put it into their digital inbound marketing funnel and using uh, HubSpot's inbound methodology and getting hyper-focused on your target customer and attracting the right customers into the funnel. We were able to set up a system where they were on average getting three MQLs qualified. So please hear me, qualified inbound leads per week with a 67% convert to an SQL. So two out of three were moving into the sales funnel. And that was more than the sales team per per person, per salesperson has ever had inbound wise. So now we converted where their time was being spent from outbound prospecting to managing qualified inbound, not junk inbound leads. And now they have more in the pipeline they've ever had. They're closing more than they've ever had, but we didn't have to increase headcount on sales. So now they have way more profit going to the bottom line and we're scaling them, but not increasing headcount. That's a difference between the two. Got it. Yeah, that makes total sense. A lot to unpack there, a lot to dive into. I think one of the key things that you brought up is hiring just to solve the sales problem. Let's bring in the sales trainer. Let's bring in a sales coach. Oh, we need a new sales manager. Let's change up the sales process. Let's hire a new sales rep. Like it's just just focusing on that sales piece and, and really focusing on the sales team, focusing on what that team does or what that team looks like or who's on it or who's leading it and what do they need? How do we motivate them? You know, mm-hmm. that is definitely one area that should always be addressed, should always be a focus of scaling and, or growing for that matter, mm-hmm. uh, a, a business that has plateaued. However, you know, you talked about building that ecosystem, which is not just sales. And mm-hmm. it's sales is definitely a, a key piece of that ecosystem. But you talked about marketing. You talked about marketing bleeding into sales, which leads into customer success and then revenue operations, kind of making sure that the entire process is running smoothly. That kind of a, you call it an ecosystem, uh, mm-hmm. that it seems to be something that a lot of people don't think about as a whole. They think more about, let's just solve the sales piece. It, it, tell us a little bit more about that ecosystem. Like how mm-hmm. can someone, if someone's never really thought about building their revenue ecosystem or having a revenue engine as a whole like that, how would you even start to do that? If you've been a sales only sales driven Mm -hmm. kind of company, how do you make it more of a revenue and an ecosystem driven company? Well, step number one is performing an audit. And I like to say opinions are valuable, but data is priceless. Mm. And if you're ever trying to solve a revenue problem or get to a new state of revenue growth or scale, you have to be able to clearly understand the gap between your current state and your desired future state. The gap in the middle is your pathway to doing something different than what you're doing now in order to get a different result. But you have to have it be a very data-driven decision and path. You can add some subjective analysis in there. I do think, again, opinions are valuable, 
The data is priceless. So step number one is audit your current revenue ecosystem, being what you just said, marketing, sales, customer success, and revenue operations. You have to identify every which way your company can earn a dollar from your customer. And then you have to identify who owns what. Too often, we walk into an organization and marketing is focused more on brand awareness, but they've never been held accountable to driving leads. If your marketing department is not making you money, what are they doing? Mm -hmm. And brand awareness can make you money, but you have to have campaigns tied to brand awareness. There has to be rhyme, reason, purpose. You have to be able to understand who that ideal client profile is. And within that ideal client profile, each of the buyer personas that are going to be engaging in the funnel and engaging in the process and engaging with your team on making a buying decision. So when you look at the three stages of a buyer, awareness, consideration, and decision, your sales and marketing team should not be operating in separate silo functions. And that's what we've been seeing. You can even add, I love HubSpot's flywheel, where you attract, engage, and delight where it's not even a funnel, it's a flywheel because you can create an ecosystem where your existing client base is not only the gift that keeps on giving through purchasing from you and expanding what they're purchasing, so revenue expansion by more products and services, but also in their word of mouth and how they refer you and engage others in their network to become a customer of yours. And also how an existing customer can influence the sale of a new customer through case studies, testimonials, live references. If you're not engaging them all the way through the process, you're really missing out. But if you look at the challenge with the audit is so often executive teams will say, like, well, where's marketing spending their time? And what projects does marketing have? Okay, that was a whole separate meeting. Now let's have a sales meeting. Now we're going to talk about numbers. How many opportunities do we have? How many conversations are we having? What's our close rate? How, why aren't we winning more? Who's beating us? Let's focus on just beating the competition. It's a very siloed conversation. Who are our top performers? Who's the bottom 20%? Let's just cut them. Maybe we should change the sales comp plan. Why don't we drop everyone's bases and make Mm -hmm. them hungrier so that they can close more? I mean, you name it. I've seen it. It's crazy. It's siloed. Then there's like customer success or operations or whatever you want to call that department. And nobody's over there having a conversation about retaining customers, delighting customers, word of mouth, referrals, revenue expansion, upsell, cross-sell, and having them impact. It's like, holy smokes, guys, you have one company. Why do you have three siloed revenue departments? That's not an ecosystem. That's three different communities (laughs) under one roof. And I don't think they're talking to each other. So in that step, one of the audit is I would recommend getting a very giant whiteboard. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But (laughs) mapping out your customer journey, you've probably heard that probably sounds like a buzz phrase, but truly understanding the day in the life of your buyer. So step number one, your ideal client profile. If you could have a million of this type of customer, this type of client profile, what is it? A 500 employee company in the manufacturing industry that's in a geographic location that thrives closer to a metropolitan area, not rural. And they sell a product that's sold um, at a rate of fill in the blank transactional, not a very expensive, long time to manufacture, whatever. They have... um, 
fill in the blank type competitive advantage. They typically see this type of growth in the industry. They're tied to these market triggers, not market triggers. And they typically have a decision team that looks like A, B, and C. That's your ideal client profile. Then of that profile, who are the buyers? Look at the entire decision and influence team, not just the decision maker, but everybody that should, not is, should be involved in the process, all the way down to your end user, your champions, the people that can completely destroy the deal <laughs> mm-hmm. because you didn't engage them. And then they say something behind a closed door meeting that you're not a part of and your deal gets killed. So that person should be involved as well. Those are your buyer personas. It's mapping out those buyers and the day in the life. So getting down to not just the demographic, we have our VP of HR profile, Susan. She's a married woman in her young 40s with children in high school. And, you know, like, okay, great. But tell me about Susan's life. Mm-hmm. Tell me about her challenges. How does she structure her day? Where does she get caught in the weeds? What is her wish list? When she shows up to work, what attitude does she start with? And what changes that attitude by 10 a.m.? When she leaves at five o'clock, what makes her feel great about her day? And what makes her feel like the work never ends, that she can't be successful, that her initiatives have no legs, that executive team isn't valuing what she's bringing forth, where she's stuck. That's a day in the life of a person so that you can understand and come in and say, we know how to make Susan's life better based on the human being she is. That's a buyer person. Then you have in your audit, you need to go to that marketing team and say, how are we attracting Susan into our brand and creating an emotional connection with her when she's in her awareness stage? Meaning she knows things aren't ideal, but she may not have had the ability to qualify or quantify her problem, but she knows that something's not right. So what is your marketing doing in brand awareness and content strategy and social strategy and hyper-targeting in paid media, in webinar, event, podcast, speaking engagements? What is the marketing department doing to attract Susan to the brand when she identifies that things maybe not be great? Then you have to look at how marketing accepts the initial relationship with Susan Are we able to identify where she is? Can we monitor and see what type of content she engages in? Can we see what she's opting into and downloading on our site? Can we see how long she's spending on certain pages and where she's spending her time? Can we monitor her behavior as she's exploring? Can we then nurture Susan in the stage that she's in? Can we score her as an MQL to alert as a lead score, not a hand raiser, but to alert our sales team that this might be somebody who's in awareness stage that we should proactively reach out to because she's not proactively telling us she's ready, that we can have a salesperson engage early stage and have an awareness conversation with Susan. What do we have at that point? So we have to look at how marketing is performing. Are you auditing every step of marketing's process to determine what they're doing? So I just talked about Susan. What about every other person? If you're selling in the mid-market or enterprise, you could have five to 50 decision makers and influencers and different personas within your ICP. And the best marketing departments have a way to communicate personally to each of those. They have different campaigns. They have different ICP set up in the system. They have different ways to speak to those people, a completely different content strategy to work them through. So then you have to audit the sales department. How is sales engaging? Where is sales spending their time? Is it how, what is percentage of time on outbound versus 
inbound conversations. How much do these salespeople make? Are they in the right roles? Do you understand that a salesperson is either a hunter or a farmer, that they're extrinsically motivated, intrinsically motivated, or altruistic, that their DNA is going to dictate how do they show up to the role and that most salespeople are in the wrong sales role, which is why their performance isn't where it needs to be. A hunter needs to be hunting. A farmer needs to be farming. If you're altruistic, you need to be in account management or customer service. You have to be able to align with the motivators, the DNA, and the skill set and looking at how they're performing. You have to look at how your territories, geographic segmentation is carved up. You have to look at how you're compensating these people. You have to identify what their systematic challenges are with lack of automation and the tools that you're giving them to have access to qualified prospects, not making them build their own lead list, not making them surf LinkedIn without direction and accountability to try to build a prospect list. You need to make the investment on tools to give them qualified prospects in a database where they can spend their time and leverage automation and be able to build their funnel in the calendar with qualified sales meetings. Are you listening back to recorded calls? Are you able to coach them through the sales conversation? Can you identify by looking at the trends where they may be getting stuck in the process. Do you have some salespeople that are fantastic on the front end, but their follow through is terrible and they don't have attention to detail. They can't progress deals to save their life. Or you have people that can't set a meeting to save their life, but they're phenomenal in the sales conversation. What are you doing to monitor this? What's your sales management layer? Are the, is the team motivated? Is the sales manager proactive or reactive? What tone do they set in the culture? Are the salespeople inspired by this manager or is it fear-based? Or maybe the sales managers super checked out. They were once a top sales performer. They weren't groomed into management. They don't know how to lead the team. I'm spewing off a thousand things here that you should be considering in your audit. And I haven't even gotten to customer success, but I'm hoping that you can see the amount of detail that you have to focus on. Solving a revenue challenge isn't let's bring in a sales trainer or let's go hire a marketing agency and drop 12 grand a month. You have to Go through this audit exercise to identify what you're missing because it's not one thing. It could be a hundred things. And then you have to build a plan. And these things take time. This isn't a one month fix. All those things I just spewed off, every company that we have an opportunity to work with, usually there's something to, to rebuild in almost every one of those things that I just said. Mm-hmm. Right. And it takes time, so it's normal. But that would be the first step of the process is that critical focus on, on right. that piece. Hey, Sales of Nation, it's Tyler Lindley here. Thanks so much for joining part one of my interview with Mary Grothy from Sales BQ. Stay tuned for part two coming out soon. Hope you have a great rest of your day.